Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're looking at the life of Timothy. I believe he was just a sort of teenager when, when he met Paul. Would that be right, Mike? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, he turns out to be one of the probably youngest leaders that we come across in the New Testament. So he he comes from a place called Lystra, which is in sort of southern Turkey, as, as we would call it today. And Paul first went there in, in Acts chapter 14 during his first uh, missionary journey. And it's there that at the very least, uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother become Christians, possibly Timothy himself uh, at that point. Um, let me just read to you a little verse here from a letter that Paul writes to Timothy, actually his second letter that he writes to him. 2 Timothy 1, 5 says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share that faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. We're not sure whether Timothy became a Christian at that moment when his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice became Christians, or maybe after Paul left and they themselves uh, led him uh, to faith in Jesus later. But it's clear that by the time Paul returns on his second missionary journey, just a few years later, uh, as we come to Acts chapter 16, uh, we read these words. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. So clearly by this point, he's become a Christian. Was it through Paul directly or was it through the influence and witness of his mother and his grandmother, as seems a bit likely from to Timothy, but he's described there as a young disciple. So by the time Paul definitely encounters him on this second missionary journey, uh, we've we've got this young believer, this young follower of Jesus. For anybody who's able to lead a member of their family to become a follower of Jesus, that is something quite special. Oh, uh, it, it is incredible. I mean, I I had the privilege of leading my own mother to faith wow. in Jesus uh, many years ago. And do you know what? At the moment when she actually fell to her knees and cried out, dear God, please forgive me. I can remember sitting there. My wife was there with me at the time as well. And I looked at her and she looked at me. And uh, it's almost like everything in me thought, oh, uh, what do I do now? And of course, <laughs> as a pastor, I've led many, many people to faith in Jesus, but because it was my own mama, there was this moment of panic. And then eventually I pulled myself together and thought, come on, boy, um, do what you do with anyone, you know, leader in this prayer of repentance and trust in Jesus. Uh, but it was like, you know, you pray for people for years and then all of a sudden um, they come to faith in Jesus. Just recently, the senior pastor that I work with in my semi-retirement, he'd been praying for his father for 39 years. And suddenly his father um, says he's ready to commit his life to Jesus with his granddaughter. Oh. 
uh, she was a bit more held together than I was and went straight for it. But, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it must be moving uh, because it's something that we long for. And I, I suspect many listeners to uh, this program will will have family members that they pray for and they'll understand what I mean when, when I say there's this sort of mixture of faith that you want to see them saved, yet almost unbelief or not quite daring to believe it could happen or perhaps not quite seeing how it could happen. Mm. Um, so it must have been a great joy for uh, grandma and mum uh, to be able to lead their teenage boy, because that's probably what he was at this point. He's probably um, a, a teenager, mid to late teen, something like that. We we don't know exactly, but he's that sort of age at this point when Paul is going to encounter him here on this second missionary journey, uh, and something is going to click between them. Yeah, so he discovers a faith for himself, young Timothy, and then in what way then becomes sort of connected with Paul? Well, clearly, clearly something clicked between them. So let me just read a few more verses from uh, Acts chapter 16 to you of, of what happened. So we read this, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer but his father was Greek. So in other words, he, he comes from a, a sort of mixed family background. So he's not a true Jew. No, because there's mixture in the family. And it says Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. That's interesting, isn't it? He's only a young teenager, but already he's being described as well thought of. So there's something about this guy, hmm. something about how he carried himself, behaved, shared his faith, who knows, and, that made him stand out. And, and age isn't against him. Absolutely not. And it never is with God. And when we think about it, there are so many in the Bible whom God will call while they are young. The prophet Samuel, the future King David, while just a, a teenager, probably 13 or 14 when he's first anointed. So... Uh, God doesn't look at age, at, at both ends, by the way, because God also uses many older people in Scripture. There's that guy Simeon in the temple uh, and, and the prophetess Anna who's there when Jesus is brought to be dedicated. And God uses them to bring this incredible prophetic song. So church really should be a place where it's not about age, either youth or old age. It's about what God is doing in people. And clearly, the church here at Lystra saw that, and so does Paul. Because we go on and read this, that Timothy was well thought of by the believers, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Mm. He's saying, how do you fancy coming joining me on this mission trip? Despite his lack of experience I know. of life. It's incredible, isn't it, of life, of of spiritual things, but clearly Paul saw something in him. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul had worked up to this point with Barnabas. And Barnabas, as we saw in a previous episode, had been the man who'd seen something in him mm. and given him a chance. And some of that now is definitely rubbed off in Paul. So Paul wants to take him with him 
on this second missionary journey. But here's an interesting bit that follows. In deference to the Jews of the area, Paul arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Now, now that's interesting because Paul adamantly stood against the demand for men to be circumcised when they became Christians. He resisted the idea that to be a true Christian, you had to become a Jew. And so that comes out again and again in many of his letters, in Galatians in particular, where he is so strong against the Judaizers, as they were called, those Christians from a Jewish background who dogged Paul's footsteps wherever he went. And once he'd left, they would go in and say, you know, did Paul tell you the true gospel? Did did he mention circumcision? Why? He didn't mention circumcision? That is so important. And they were trying to undermine the gospel. and, And so Paul resisted vehemently the demand for Gentile men to be circumcised when they became Christians. And yet he does it here. And what it seems to be is, is if you like, a concession to, to Jewish sensitivity, because it's well known in this area that Timothy has a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And what Paul could see happening was that this would undermine the message of the gospel. Well, I'm not listening to him. You know, he's got no right to come and talk to us. And so... It would be a distraction. It would be a distraction. That's a really good word, David. So he's resolved to get rid of anything that could distract from the message of the gospel. And, you know, maybe that's a good point just to throw in. There's a challenge to us to be ready to get rid of distractions. You know, it's not that important. Uh, what matters is that we clear the way for the gospel to be able to be communicated clearly. And so Paul gets rid of this possible distraction. He doesn't want any opportunity for the gospel to be undermined. So, And obviously, he, and obviously Timothy was willing to, for that to happen. Yes. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to be sort of willing to happen. You know, it wasn't without its cost and its pain, was it? Indeed. At but that t- age. And that age in particular, because normally, of course, circumcision will be done on a, an eight-day-old baby, which, by the way, we now know is the most optimum time for that to happen medically. So um, this was a real cost and I think, again, reflects something of the, the heart of this young guy. Timothy, that he was prepared to pay a price if it meant that Jesus could be glorified and Jesus would have more opportunities to be heard. So he was to learn an enormous amount from Paul. Absolutely. He will follow Paul on this second missionary journey and work alongside him and Silas. And the text tells us that they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. That's a reference to the Council of Jerusalem where they made that decision about how Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians should relate together. This this is young Timothy telling new believers how to live their lives. Yes, I'm sure he was alongside Paul. And I'm sure at first he probably did more listening and more nodding than, than actual speaking. But as the second missionary journey goes on, Clearly, this guy starts to come into his own. So Paul and Silas and Timothy will go on and they will 
cross over into what we would now call Europe. And so they'll visit some of the key cities in Macedonia and Greece, places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And uh, it's in Berea that there's a sort of a bit of a, a hoo-ha and uh, a riot against Paul. And so uh, Paul has to stay, but he leaves Timothy and Silas behind to do more work, we read in Acts chapter 17. So again, here's a measure of Paul's trust of this guy. And then later, as Paul will carry on on his second missionary journey to go down to Corinth, uh, Timothy and Silas will leave Berea and they will go and join him there. That seems to have been quite a development from taking on this young man to being able to trust them completely to lead things while he's away. Yes. I mean, this guy clearly grew quickly, and it's not long before uh, Paul is describing him not just as a helper, but as a co-worker, a fellow worker, a co-laborer in Christ. So a reflection here of, I think, the rapid spiritual growth. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about working with young people still. I'm, I'm getting much older these days, but I've always had a, a vision and a passion personally to to work with young people, to to look for potential in them, to, to give them opportunity. I've traveled to many countries over the years, teaching in colleges and with different churches in different parts of the world. Um, and one of the most common things I did was, was take uh, some young people with me or a young guy with me to give them opportunity to expose them to new things, new churches, new ways of doing things, but also it's amazing to see how when you push them out and say, okay, you're going you're gonna to share a word here with this group. And yeah, I, I've seen young people at times say, oh, what am I going to share? And, well, come on, you better go and ask God. And then they come out with something and it turns out to be the key word of the whole conference, you know, <laughs> better than mine. <laughs> and what do I think? Oh, no, no, I think glory to God. This is fantastic. And I have got personally so many happy memories of taking young people to places like India and China and various African nations who are now playing significant leadership roles in their church, youth leaders, pastors. They've, they've gone out to countries like Belgium and France and African nations to, to plant churches there. And, you know, you sit back and there's a sense not of pride but satisfaction and a thankfulness to God that God nudged you to give this person a chance. And I, I think Paul must have looked often at Timothy and thought, thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting him come up on my screen and helping me to give him an opportunity. We use the word probably mentoring nowadays, but it sounds like Timothy was teachable. Yes, and of course, you can't mentor someone who isn't teachable. And the whole idea of teachableness comes out, of course, in the two letters that Paul sends to Timothy, one and two Timothy in our New Testaments. Um, by the time Paul writes those letters, here's a measure of how much Timothy has grown, Paul has actually sent him to the key city of Ephesus to lead the church there. And um, he was still pretty young 
because there's a place in uh, one of those letters where Paul actually has to say to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And clearly there were some of the older Christians in the church thinking, well, he's just a young upstart really, isn't he? He's got all these new ideas. He's not been around very long really. You know, when when he's had a bit more experience like us, he'll realize these new ideas can't work. And so Paul writes one to Timothy to, to mentor Timothy from a distance, to, to guide him. And clearly Timothy was was willing. And I, I think, you know, in a good mentoring relationship, there has to be the two sides. There has to be the one who is willing to mentor the other, not because he sees this as an opportunity for control or domination or manipulation or living out my life and ministry through someone else, but because he sees potential in this young man or young woman. In God, you've seen something, and God has given you faith to work with this person. And then on the other hand, there has to be, in the person who is mentored, a a willingness to receive input, a willingness to be given opportunity, yes, but also with that, a willingness to be helped, advised, and even corrected. One of the things I have done over many years uh, is I have helped mentor preachers. And the preachers who develop the best are the ones who, when they've done their sermon, are happy to sit down with me, not straight after the sermon because that doesn't help them, <laughs> but two or three days later and for us to go through together and might just say to them, so how did you feel it went? What did you feel was good? What did you feel didn't work? Uh, and then to say, well, look, this was good, this was good, but I'm going to give you a couple of things to work on next time. And the preachers who I've really seen develop the best are those who say, yes, I see that, and who put that into practice next time. And I'll often say to them, now, listen, next time you preach, I am going to be looking for that in particular, and I can guarantee it will be there. So this mentoring is um, a, a two-way thing. And just as I'm speaking, David, there's just one thing I, I, I want to throw out because maybe it might help someone. Probably one of the best examples I've ever had of mentoring is with the guy, the senior pastor with whom I co-labor now. Um, this guy became a Christian many years ago now, probably over 35 years ago, Um, as a result of being invited to our church where I was pastor at the time uh, by some fellow students and and coming along on a Sunday for the simple reason that the pastor and his wife gave lunches to students (laughs) afterwards. And he he came for the lunch and we we were talking together and I asked him about his faith and he said, well, I don't believe. And we had an opportunity um, to encourage him to go away that night. And as I've spoken about in a previous episode, he he went away, read John's gospel and had an encounter with Jesus as he did so. And he came back to see me the next day so I could explain to him a little bit of what had happened and what should happen next. And it was pretty early on, I felt God speak to me about this guy. Now you have to understand that humanly speaking, there was nothing in him that I would think, wow, here's a future leader. Hmm. He was a medic in training, and by his own admission, 
had been a very, very bad boy at every level you could possibly name. And I suddenly felt God speak to me. And I felt God say, I want you to mentor him because he'll succeed you. (laughs) And it was so clear and so strong. I thought, okay, Lord, I'll do that. So I started to mentor him, spent time with him, encouraged him in reading the scriptures and his praying and giving him opportunities in the church. And over the years, we saw him start to develop enormously. And this was him growing. This was not me. You know, it was him pressing into Jesus. And he was so overwhelmed by the forgiveness he'd received from the bad life he'd had and so impassioned and in love with Jesus that he just went for it. And we saw him growing and becoming a leader, a home group leader, becoming an elder. And guess what? When I left that church, it was to him that I was able to hand the church over. And that had probably been, I don't know, perhaps a 10-year process. Uh, But, you know, for any listeners today, you know, if you have got young men, young women, that maybe you see potential in them, maybe you don't even see potential yet, but you felt a nudge from God to invest in them, uh, I want to encourage you to do it because that's clearly what Paul did with Timothy. You know, there wasn't a lot to see. Okay, he was spoken well of by the fellow believers we read, um, but that was all. But I think something clicked in Paul's heart, and he loved this guy. He was like, I really like you. I think we could do something together. And so, yeah, we find uh, by the end of Paul's life, he so trained Timothy, that Timothy is now leading this really influential church in Ephesus, and all because Paul was ready to mentor him and give to him, and because Timothy was ready to receive from him. So presumably, Timothy had grown up in all sorts of ways, not just physically, but spiritually, and was able to face, what, some tough times in that church in Ephesus? Yes, it was not always easy there at all. I mean, Ephesus was an interesting place. It was a sort of buzzing uh, metropolitan city, uh, pretty wealthy. Uh, Lots of trade and international trade routes passed through it. Uh, But there was also this temple there to the goddess Artemis. So this uh, religion that was heavily female-dominated, with uh, not just a goddess, but female temple prostitutes dominated the whole city and dominated the whole economy of the city as well. So, you know, when Paul sent him there, he was sending him to uh, a church where where things would not have been easy because, you know, people become Christians and they come from that sort of background. And, And so... In his letters, Paul's encouraging him. It's interesting in uh, the beginning of 1 Timothy, he starts out by telling him to fight the good fight, to fight the spiritual battle well. Um, And that's true at a general level, of course. You know, our our life in Christ is is a battle. But clearly he had uh, some battles there. And he's going to go on to tell him how to lead the church well, how to, um, you know, get the right leaders in place to, to work alongside him. But in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, he warns uh, Timothy about false teachings that were creeping into the church. You know, and it can't have been easy, can it, for a young man to 
stand up, perhaps to someone who is older, uh, who's coming in with some error in the church, and, and to have to say that these things are wrong. But I mean, they were they were pretty serious. If we just read these few verses from 1 Timothy 4, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars. Their consciences are dead. Paul was pretty straight there, wasn't he? Mm. They will say it's wrong to be married, wrong to eat certain foods. So there were at least two issues that Paul was having to deal with. There were some people in the church who were saying that marriage is wrong, probably because of the physical aspects of marriage and it didn't seem spiritual enough and the truly spiritual are just married to Jesus and give themselves only to him and don't have anything to do with this nasty sex stuff uh, that happens in marriage. And also an avoidance of foods. Now that may have been a reference to perhaps some Jewish believers and wanting to bring the kosher uh, food rules in, uh, or it may have been something out of the pagan culture of the time. But, but Paul's going to be really clear. Look, you really do have to stand up against this error. And yeah, to, to Christians who must have been older mm. than him, mm-hmm. that must have been a challenge. And hence Paul's saying, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Because he would have been, what, in his probably early 30s or something like that? Yes. At this point? Yes, that's probably the most he would have been. And of course, uh, for that time, even your young 30s were seen as very young. To have any sort of responsibility or wisdom. This was a culture in which the elderly carried wisdom. And here's this young guy, late 20s, early 30s, who is lovingly trying to help older people come back into line with the truth of the gospel. And that just can't have been easy. Money seemed to have been another issue, by the way, uh, that some of them had a problem with. Um, One of the things we read, for example, if I just pull a passage out of 1 Timothy 6, uh, where Paul says, keep teaching these things and encourage everyone to obey them. Some may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ that promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. And then he'll go on to say about how these people have got corrupt minds, turned their backs on true godliness. Yet true godliness with contentment itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us. So if we're food and clothing, let us be content because people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So clearly here was another thing that Timothy was having to deal with some people who remember in this wealthy city, um, people were just letting money get out of balance. Sure, we need it, but the love of money is the root of so many kinds of evil. So this is the fatherly Paul giving some very practical, very direct, very specific advice to 
what is sort of spiritual son almost in Timothy. I think that's a great picture because actually Paul will use that very terminology about Timothy at one point. He talks about him as a father with a son laboring alongside. So this is not just functional. This is not just a role or a position in church. This is family. And remember, of course, that's what God wants to build. Hmm. Has been ever since the time of Abraham to build a family that fills the whole earth. And church, more than anything else, should be family. So here's the Apostle Paul, Father, working with Timothy, my true son in the faith, he'll actually call him at one point. And this father-son relationship and Wow, wouldn't it be great if if in church today we had fathers who were finding spiritual sons, mothers who were finding spiritual daughters and giving themselves so that not just these spiritual sons and daughters could get to where you've got to, but get to a further place. And one of the things got put in my own heart many years ago as I started mentoring young leaders was that I should mentor them so that they should go further than me. Now, that's a challenge because there's something in all of us likes to be kingpin. And there's something in all of us wants people to do well as long as they don't do weller than us. (laughs) And yet God put in my heart to so invest in young people that they would be able to go further than us. And if we could do that again today, If we could find young Timothys and Timothinas, young men and young women, see the potential in them and invest in them in the way that Paul had in Timothy. You know, give young people opportunities. Samuel, David, Daniel, even Jesus' disciples. All these were young people when they were given opportunity. And as someone who's older myself, You know, I'd appeal to our older listeners uh, to this program to be ready to not just give young people opportunity, but to give everything of yourself to encourage them not just to know what you know and do what you have done, but to be able to go even further than we have gone. Because if they don't, how is the Church of Jesus going to impact our nation? David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.